to Philippians chapter 1. If you're using one of the pew Bibles, or the chair Bibles, we don't have pews, sorry. If you're using one of the chair Bibles, it'd be on page 980. One of the biggest themes of the book of Philippians is joy. How can I have life-giving, robust joy in my life? Now, part of this is understanding what joy is, because I think it's something we struggle with. Joy is not showing up to church acting like you're happy when you're not. That's a good false joy. You know, we sort of put on the plastic mask, and when someone asks us how our week was, we're like, oh, it was great, when in fact it was awful. So it can't just be that. It can't just be that facade that says everything's okay when it's not okay. It's got to be bigger. It's got to be deeper. It's got to be stronger. It cannot be based on our circumstances. Well, nobody got mad at me today, so I'm happy, so I have joy. It can't, can't be that. One, that's just not, <laughs> never really happens. <laughs> because we interact with each other. <laughs> so it's got to be bigger. It's got to be stronger. On top of that, how can I have joy when I am enduring hardship? Not just the normal life, not just the normal bumps on the road, but, but when I am experiencing discrimination, persecution, deep, real hardship. Think about St. Paul. We talked about this a little bit last week, but he is writing this from jail. And let me tell you, the jail that Paul was in <laughs> make our jails look like the Comfort Inn and Suites. <laughs> so how can Paul write a book where the main theme is joy when he's rotting away in prison? Joy must be bigger. Joy must be stronger. There's a pastor named Sam Storms who, uh, speaking at one of the Desiring God conferences, gave this definition. What is joy? It's a deep, durable delight in God that ruins you for anything else. Everything becomes sour. It ruins your taste buds for all other pursuits of pleasure. This deep, enduring delight in God. That is a delight that cannot be changed by my circumstances. It doesn't flex with my emotions. It endures, it perseveres because it recognizes that the greatest thing is God. That can sustain us in the hard times. 
Our delight in God never changes because God never changes. So today, Paul is going to help us understand how do we live out joy in the worst times? How do we live out joy and how do we, how do we work for joy when we are experiencing real hardship? And so today, we're going to see our big idea that we can rejoice during hardship when we understand that God uses hardship to spread the gospel. So, so a way that you fight for joy in your life, and I use that intentionally, that sometimes you are fighting for joy. Like that there is a war for your heart, and you have to fight that war for joy. But one, one weapon in that fight is understanding that God can even use that hardship you're experiencing for the spread of the gospel across the earth. So let's look at point number one there, if you're following along in your outline in your bulletin, that through hardship many have heard the gospel. Look at verses 12 to 13 of Philippians 1. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So again, to set the stage here, Paul is in jail. This is not a pleasant place. This is a terrible place. But look at the confidence he has in verse 12. What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul is not thinking about how awful his living conditions were. Paul is not consumed with a sense of self here. What is he worried about? He is worried about how what is happening in his life serves the greater mission of God across the earth. And that's one thing that steals our joy, and, and, it, and it's almost counterintuitive, that when we overly focus on ourselves, we lose our joy. If we're so consumed with pursuing our happiness, we actually lose our joy. And so part of finding your joy in the worst of times is seeing how what is happening to you helps someone else. As we saw last week, the interconnectedness of our lives is a source of joy. I can find joy that even though I am experiencing hardship, others are finding Christ. That is a wellspring of joy that never dries up. And you see that in verse 13, that he sees his imprisonment to advance the gospel. And here's the, here's the reason. Verse 13, So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. 
So I want you to picture being a guard in this prison, being a Roman guard. And every time you're on your shift, you go, you're watching this prisoner for, for whatever reason, they've got this guy like watched by a lot of people. And, and you, you get into conversation because you're, you're right there. He's, he ain't going anywhere, and you're not going anywhere. So you've got you know, sort of a mutually captive audience. And this prisoner starts telling you a story. There was this Jewish peasant, carpenter by trade, and he was actually the son of God. Now, the first couple times, you're going to start rolling your eyes there. But every time you come on shift, <laughs> that's all that this guy wants to talk about. So then the next, so you dismiss him the first day. Okay, okay, Jewish peasant, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, he got killed by the Romans. Okay, a little more interesting, but, you know, still, still you know, not very interesting. But then the next day, because, again, you're, you have to be there because it's your job, and he's got to be there because he's chained to a wall. So the next day, he says, this guy not only died, he rose from the dead. <laughs> well, now you're getting interesting because he's either right or crazy. And either way, it makes a good story in the break room after your shift. You wouldn't believe what this guy told me today. <laughs> that this Jewish peasant died and then came back from the dead, and I need to trust in him for the forgiveness of my sins. So not only does Paul get every guy on the new shift, so he gets a bunch of guys that way because, you know, he's got to be there, but then he also gets sort of the rumor mill evangelism going on. You wouldn't believe what this guy said. And so through his imprisonment, what does it say? The whole imperial guard and to all the rest it has become known that my imprisonment is for Christ. So every soldier either heard directly from Paul or heard about the crazy guy in cell 1A. But the whole group of soldiers heard the gospel. And so through this hardship, people are hearing the gospel. And so Paul can have joy. That there's a point to all of this. Isn't that part of our problem is we go through something and, and we get to the point where we say, why? And Paul is telling us one of the reasons why. That through enduring persecution, through enduring hardship, perhaps hundreds of these guards heard the message of Jesus Christ. And so one of the reasons you can have joy when you experience hardship, is that God promises to use that so that 
people will hear that the Son of God came to earth, lived among us, died in our place, and rose again so that we can be forgiven, reconciled to the God who created us, and have the hope of eternal life. And that is available to all people by his grace through faith. If that's what I'm thinking about when I am going through the rough patches, that is a source of joy. It doesn't make it any less hard. And it doesn't mean I'm always smiling and grinning and happy all the time, but I can have delight in my relationship with God and joy. Now, in some sense, it'd be enough if we stopped right there. But God is so sovereign. God loves us so much that he doesn't stop there. Not only will he use you to share the gospel when you are experiencing hardship, but he can and will use your hardship to inspire others to share the gospel. So not only do we see more people hearing the gospel, but point two in your outline there, through hardship, many are preaching the gospel. So let's first of all look at more preachers in verse 14. And most of the brothers, that's a reference to believers, have be, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So when we endure hardship as a follower of Jesus Christ, living out the fruit of the Spirit in the midst of that hardship, living the way that God has called us to live, when we endure in a holy way hardship, we embolden other believers. It's a, it's a causal relationship here. Look, look at the text again. Having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, they are more bold to speak the word. He draws a direct connection between what he is suffering and how he is suffering to the boldness that his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ now have. And again, let's be honest with ourselves. Fear is the number one enemy of us sharing the gospel. There's a lot of things that, 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 that we fear, whether it's losing our reputation, whether it's hurting a relationship, whether it's someone just becoming angry because we talk to them, that those things, those things that we fear. And, and if we're honest with ourselves, fear is what keeps us the most from sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And so again, put yourself in Paul's shoes. 
because of his endurance in the hardship, his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ are losing their fear. Notice he's not happy that they're angry about the hardship he's going through or they're depressed about the hardship he's going through, that they're saying, oh, poor Paul, or oh, I'm so mad Paul is getting arrested. No. They are becoming fearless in their preaching. If Paul can endure that, I can walk across the street and share Jesus with my neighbor. So again, if you're experiencing hardship, I mean real hardship, if you are living a godly example in the midst of that hardship, you are serving your brothers and sisters in Christ in their obedience to share Jesus. Again, people are watching how you deal with hardship. And will they be encouraged in the faith by how you endure? Or will you discourage them by how you respond to trials and tribulations? How you live doesn't just affect you. How you live affects those outside the church and those inside the church. And we need that focus. We need that focus of how I live affects others. Let me give you a great example of this. And I know Lucas made a little joke about this earlier. But here, here's what's really funny. There, you know, there are some Sundays where when the service starts, about 10% of you are in here. <laughs> and sometimes that's me too. Like, I'm just getting out of the bathroom, so, you know, I'm not the first one. I'm not, I'm not trying to throw rocks in a glass house here. But what happens, and if you've been one of these people, what happens if we start doing announcements or start singing and, and not everybody's here? What do you all do? You all start doing this. Now, you're either stretching because you want to sing well, which that's cool. Like, you want to you wanna belt it out. So if you want to stretch, that's totally cool. Um, no, it's, where, where are my friends? <laughs> this is the where is my friends look. See, sometimes we forget that just the very action of being here on Sunday morning deeply affects the other members of this church. And if something as simple as being at church on Sunday affects other people, how much more does how we live in the midst of hardship affect them? When it actually is something of, of weight and gravity. And we forget that. We forget that we're so interconnected. That how I live affects how you live. And how you live affects how I live. Because we think, well, it's really just, you know, just, just me and God. And that's, that's true to an extent, but it's more than that. We're a part of a body. 
And so how I live affects you, and how you live affects me. And we see it right here in the text. That because Paul was living a godly life, even though he was going through real, intense suffering, God used his suffering to transform his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. God will use how you live in suffering to make your fellow believers more like Jesus. So it matters. We're all counting on you. Now, in the next section here, Paul takes it a step further because it's not just that he rejoices in more preachers, but he can find joy even when some of those preachers don't love him. So I want to look at, there are two types of preachers here. We're going to call them love preachers, and we're going to call the other ones selfish preachers. And how Paul can find joy in both. So let's look at verses 15 to 17. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So two types of preachers. A part of this group that has been emboldened by Paul's imprisonment. So let's first look at the good guys. Let's first look at the love preachers. So these guys preach Jesus out of good motives. So verse 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. They preach out of love for God and for others. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. They are emboldened because they know God is working even though Paul is in prison. That's going to be important later. Because these guys know the other guys just think or just assume. Okay, so they know God is still working and so they preach. They know that it's not some flaw or sin in Paul's life that has put him in prison. They know that this is a part of God's plan. And they're not competing with Paul. They are working with Paul. Now let's talk about the selfish preachers, because this is where it gets a little hairy. So first of all, who are they not? They are not heretics. They are not preaching a different gospel. Okay, you go to the book of Galatians, and you see what Paul thinks about people who preach a different gospel. He doesn't say nice things, just a little spoiler alert there. 
But that's in Galatians. Here we're still in Philippians. But he says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but they're still preaching Christ. Okay, so, so sometimes this verse is used to just say that everybody's okay who calls himself a preacher. No. <laughs> there are false teachers who say they preach the Bible. Read Second Peter for that one. Again, spoiler alert, he doesn't say nice things about them. Okay? But these people are preaching Christ. They are preaching the true gospel. So then we have to ask, what's their problem with Paul? So in verse 15, or verse 16, oh, sorry, back to 15. I'll get it right one of these days. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. So these guys had a problem with Paul. They were envious probably of his success that God had granted to him. They, they probably saw him as a rival for whatever reason, we're not really told. But we're told that they are jealous of Paul. And so the idea here is that they are viewing the fact that Paul is in jail and they are not as a way to show that they're the better preacher. Well, Paul, if you would have just done it right, you wouldn't have ended up in jail, is sort of the idea. They are, in a sense, trying to beat out Paul at gospel preaching. Now, we'll talk about that in a second. Don't worry, we're, we're getting there. But look at verses 16 and 17. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. And so again, we're not exactly sure what that means, but sort of the idea is, if I preach Christ, it'll cause more trouble for Paul. Sort of mixed up. It's really messed up. But it heightens Paul's response to them. So look at verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Paul has at the center of his life the priority of the spread of the gospel so that even people who are doing it to cause trouble, he doesn't care. That question of what then? Like, who cares? He doesn't care that they're trying to beat him out for preacher of the year, and they're trying to win gospel preaching. Yeah, I know it's totally backwards. We're going to get there. Don't worry. But he doesn't care because through even these people, the word of God is spreading. He cares more about the spread of the gospel than his own reputation. 
his care about people hearing about Jesus is so much his ultimate goal that even though he knows these guys don't like him and want to make trouble for him, he doesn't care. Because he has bigger fish to fry. And so, because the gospel is the goal, because it's the goal, and not pumping up his own ego, because he's not the goal, the spread of the gospel is, he can rejoice at any spread of the gospel. He can rejoice in prison because through his imprisonment, he gets the captive audience, which again, there's a sort of level of irony here that the guards are the captive audience of the prisoner. I mean, who's really free in that prison? Sorry, another sermon there. Um, But because the goal of the gospel is his priority, not his own goals, he can rejoice even with these people who are preaching out of bad motives. Now let me say, if he had the chance, I know he would confront these motives and call them to repent but that doesn't change the fact that he rejoices in that they are spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ it's not okay what they're doing but he's going to rejoice that God is using them to spread the gospel let me close with three points of application here. Number one, endure hardship with joy. And it will be something you have to endure. Life is hard. And there's a certain grit that we need to have as believers to persevere when it's hard. Secondly, don't be jealous of the ministry of others, but rejoice in it. It's really hard when you look at what someone is doing and you see God blessing their ministry more than yours. It's real easy to also only see the easy part of that person's ministry. You know, it's like Facebook. People post on Facebook when they're doing something fun or exciting. It's like vacation pictures. Vacation pictures don't have that fight that the whole family had in a huge meltdown on day three, right? For some reason, we don't put that in the photo album. I don't know why. I think I'm going to start doing that note, by the way. Um, here's when Theodore melted down. Here's when he kicked over that trash can. All right. But it's easy to be jealous and envious when you don't see the behind-the-scenes stuff. That every ministry has both challenges 
and the times where it is just fun. And so we can't, we can't let our ego get in the way of gospel ministry. That maybe someone's ministry is more popular for a while. What then? Either way, Christ is proclaimed, and in it I can rejoice. Thirdly, along with that, is to see the bigger gospel picture. We are a part, we are one part in our little corner of the world of God's global plan to save people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's a lot bigger than just my life. And I can rejoice when I experience life in my individual life because I know that God's mission is global. God is saving people from every country, even the ones where we would be afraid to go. (laughs) Keep the bigger gospel picture that we are a part of a global, international movement of the Spirit. Because what that'll do is it'll make some of our problems just a little bit smaller. And it's a place that even though maybe I don't see gospel fruit, I don't see the person I'm talking to come to Christ, but I know that God is working across the world and is saving hundreds and thousands of people every day. And so whether God uses me or uses somebody else who I've never even met, I can rejoice. And that can sustain me in those hard times. Let's pray. Father God, that we would find joy in the ministry of others. And that we would find joy when we experience discrimination and persecution and hardship, knowing that you are working through us and through others for the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, that we would not give up hope, that we would not become angry or bitter or depressed, but God, that we would radiate your joy. A joy in that you will always be in the business of saving sinners by your grace. God, help us to endure hardship with joy, knowing you are always at work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Say it is well. 